Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Matt Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 120 of Let's Get Haunted. Can you believe we're 120 episodes in? I really can't. I like I think about this often, how far we've come. And thank you guys so much to the haunties and everyone who supports us and listens to us. We love you guys so much. If you're new to the show and you want to get straight to the story from the title, you can skip our intro by opening up the show notes and looking at the very first sentence. It's going to say skip to this time to get to the story. Otherwise, Allie and I are going to have a little chat here about our own personal hauntings and just talk about some stuff that's been going on in our lives. Very quickly, I'm just going to shout out our haunties that donated to this episode. I'd like to give a shout out to Chaotic Kina, Richard S., Rebecca H, Sierra M, Joey A, Jesse H, who donated $69. Thank Ooh, you, Joey thank A you and Jesse so H. Much. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Elena B, Nicole S for donating $75. Thank you so much, Nicole. British Cyborg, Alexis. And Alexis wants us to shout out her friend Maddie, whose birthday it is. She's a longtime LGH listener. Shout out Maddie. Happy birthday to Maddie. And I'd love to shout out Grim, British Cyborg, and Peter Barker and Malik, who donated $50 and say, Allie, get on the Discord. We got to talk about the fantasy football draft. Oh, shit. What? We're going to do an LGH fantasy football draft in the Discord this year. Oh, wow. That's not, maybe I'll get into it then. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Just join for fun. The perfect time to find out what people's names are in the NFL. Yes. <laughs> I would like to thank Olivia S., Amanda S., Gentry B., Lisa B., Gentry B., Mason H., Lindsay L., Gentry B., Gentry B., Pete M., Chad P., Chris P., Owen F., Gentry B., and Garrett B. Thank you guys so much for donating. And Gentry B., thank you very much for your multiple donations. It always really brings a smile to our face to hear your name. And we love you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Gentry B. Thank you to everyone, large or small. We appreciate your donations. No time to explain, but if you'd like to donate, just check the show notes. We'll have all the links there. I want to tell you a story. About Captain Jack Sparrow? Yeah, and it 
started with Captain Jack Sparrow going to a little place they call manscaped.com. Oh, shit. Where he was able to look at all of their products to keep himself in prime form. He was able to trim his goatee so that it would be the perfect shape to add braids and beads onto. And he was also able to get some crop reviver and ball deodorizer because I can only imagine what a 1700s pirate's nether regions smell like. So if you want to be like Captain Jack Sparrow, which let's be honest, who doesn't want to be like Captain Jack Sparrow? Captain Barbosa doesn't want to be like Captain Jack Sparrow because he had, instead of a beard, tentacles. tentacles. Oh no, wait, that was Davy Jones. Captain Barbosa also Also. wanted to be like Captain Jack Sparrow. He was jealous that Captain Jack Sparrow had access to Manscaped.com because Captain Jack Sparrow was immortal and Captain Barbosa was a demon because he had stolen some cursed treasure and therefore turned into a skeleton in the moonlight and could no longer shave his unkempt beard. Look, is your Davy Jones locker unable to be seen because it's being obscured by a black pearl? You need to go to manscaped.com, put their performance package 4.0 in your shopping cart, which has everything you could possibly need to get your Davy Jones locker. Looking like a bag of treasure. You know, I heard a rumor that Captain Jack Sparrow bought the lawnmower 4.0, which has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shape. How many of us have been in the middle of tumultuous seas, in the dark, in a whirlpool, fighting against (laughs) a different (laughs) pirate ship, and there's about to be a green flash, but no, you don't need the green flash because you've got a 4,000 LED spotlight. You can shave your Kraken by using code Let's Get Haunted at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. And now back to your regularly scheduled haunting. And I have what is a pretty, this personal haunting I feel like is very well documented and I'm very excited to share it with you today. I'm very excited because I feel like recently we haven't had too many personal hauntings. So I'm ready to like hear about some fucked up shit going on. Yeah. So this, okay. So this, I will preface this by saying in the interest of protecting everyone's identities, who's involved in this personal haunting, even the person who is the villain of this story, I'm going to change some dates and some locations and stuff like that around. Um, This sounds juicy. So here's what happened. Recently went on a trip. And while we were there, my fiance was like, I don't. Do you think that iPhones are waterproof? No, absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely not, right? No, absolutely not. He thinks that iPhones are waterproof. No. And I was like, there's no fucking way. Like, and he's like, no, no, yeah, you can like take it in the shower. No. You can do all this. You can go like what? And I was like, dude, no. And he was like, yes, the new ones are. And I was like, you're 100% wrong about that. Why do people put them in little like bags and stuff yeah. when they go in the water? Why do people have waterproof like cases to prevent their phones from getting wet? And he's like, no, but the new ones, they they don't have like any moving parts in them. And da, da, da. he like had this whole thing that sounded very technologically advanced and scientific so I was like you know what maybe he fucking knows I don't know uh goes in the ocean with the phone it doesn't work anymore so (laughs) 
whatever. We come back to LA. So we have to go to the store. We have to get a new phone. The very next day that we're back in LA, we have brunch with some of our friends. So we have like all of our phones on the table like normal, right? But then we're getting up from the table. Like my fiance and I are like switching places every once in a while to run around with the baby. And then so we leave the restaurant or whatever and we go to the park because it's like a five minute walk down the street to go to the park and we need to let the baby run his energy out. While we're at the park, Cody, my fiance, is like, hey, do you have my phone? And I was like, no, I don't have your phone. And he's like, oh, I think I left it at the restaurant. Oh, no. So we walk back to the restaurant. He's like, yeah, I like, I think I just set it on the table or something. And it's not there on the table. So we ask our waiter. We're like, hey, did you get a, an iPhone? Uh, and the waiter's like, no, I can go check in the back. And he's like, yeah, we don't have one. And then we like talk to the people who work there. And we're like, hey... Uh, did you guys see this iPhone that was set on the table? And there was already another family sitting where we had sat. We asked them to, we're like, hey, was there an iPhone? And everyone was like, no, didn't see one. And we were like, this is really weird because there's only been like a five minute period between our table getting cleaned and like the phone going missing. So we asked management, we're like, hey, we left an iPhone and there's a camera right there. So we're like, could you like check the camera, check the camera? And they're like, no, we don't, we don't do that. We don't have it. Sorry. We don't have iPhone. And so he went on his phone and he like went to find my iPhone. Obviously it's not coming up. And he like set it so that he could put a message on the phone if they were to turn it back on. Yeah. And so the message was like, hey, reward for this phone, something that would make sense for someone to want to return it rather than just sell it on the street. And he was like, just text this number, my phone number, if you find the phone. Well, then he gets a ping on his laptop the next day. That's like someone turned that iPhone on in downtown LA right next to or inside you could even assume the sister restaurant of the restaurant that we were eating at oh honestly that almost makes me feel like it's management like some manager got the phone and then went to go cash out at the other one or open up close down the register or something right that's what I mean that's what my fiance said because he was like they probably finished their shift then had to go to the other restaurant and then turned it on for a second and saw that screen cap or whatever on it wrote it down and then like turned it off or something so then a couple days later I have a voicemail that comes to my phone and I'm gonna play this voicemail for you oh my god hi I'm coming in regards to an iPhone 13 that my mother has found at, at a restaurant that you guys were that you guys were in um we keep trying to get in contact with you guys if you would like to do us a call back please call me back through my phone uh 213 thank you and have a great day mm-hmm so that message came to me from a different phone number. Than the number they said to call? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't know. What what would your first thought be about that? Well, it's definitely the person that stole it, I would say. I mean, it's a very slim chance that it wasn't. Just because I know my mom, like if she were at a restaurant and saw a random iPhone, she would absolutely not pick it up. My mom, especially like the older generation, is so superstitious about like technology. My mom would never, my mom would be like, it's like a boomer generation. They're going to see the brand new iPhone and be like, I don't even know how to operate that. Or they're going to, yeah, or they're going to be like, this definitely has a tracking device on it and they can come to my house and like murder me. You know, like the older generation does not just like pick up phones. It's a trap. Yeah, it's a trap. I also found it curious that, so there was like a long pause between them being like, my mother found a phone at a restaurant that you and then there's like a long pause 
that's not cut out. That person actually oh, like really? stopped for a moment to think about what they were going to say. It almost sounded next. like someone was whispering was telling them, them in the background. Yeah. Then I get that same day. Here's a thread of text. Go ahead and read that. Oh, it's I'm starting, so excited. Starting that same day at 9.36 p.m. So it's after an entire day of not responding to that voice message. Hi, good evening. I've been trying to reach you. This sounds like we've been trying to reach you about your extended car warranty. It says 9.36 p.m. Hi, good evening. I've been trying to reach you for about a week now. Every time I call, tails me to voicemail. My mother found a phone and we are trying to return it. Uh, Natalia responds saying, if you can leave it with management at the restaurant it was taken from, that would be great. The person responds, well, there's a reward for it, isn't there? Natalia responds, already replaced it. Next time you steal something, you have to reach out quicker. By the way, the restaurant has cameras. I hope you guys learned your lesson. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was like uh, maybe management did take the phone to the other location or something and then uh, was like waiting for someone to pick it up and then someone else came in and took it. I don't know what happened, but that place that we were eating at, I feel like it was like somehow related to yeah. them. One time I lost my phone when I was in college at a festival and someone texted me and was like, hey, I found your phone and they lived in LA. It was like at Coachella or something or like at EDC or something like that. And I was like, oh, cool. Can I come pick it up? And they were like, yeah. And I went with my dad and we went and picked it up. My dad tried to give the guy like a hundred bucks for returning it to me and he wouldn't take it. He was like, no, no, just like. That's festival people though. Like festival people are so fucking nice. Like why yeah. can't the world just be like, a girl in a flower crown on ecstasy why can't we all just have that like level of whimsy and carefree and like yeah well I thought I was being a flower girl in a festival by like not laying it into this girl and being like I will fucking come find you right, I will put right. you in a federal prison I'm a CIA agent and you right. just stole federal property and I'm standing outside your house right now I think I said this on the podcast before where one time somebody stole a work phone and two years after they stole it did I already tell you this no I had put up one of those alert messages on the screen being like, call in. This is a company phone. Like, call this number. And somebody called in and was like, oh, I have this phone. Like, I'll give it back to you for some money. And so I was like, OK, like 20 bucks. It was like a super shitty iPhone 5C. And they were like, OK, cool. Meet me here. And they told me to meet them in an alley. And I was like, I'm absolutely not doing that. And so one of my coworkers, who's like a really big fucking buff dude was like i'll just go drive by and scout it out and see like what it looks like and if it looks sketchy then like fuck it we don't need this the cell phone and he drove by and there was just like a cr like a crowd of people in this alley like dudes like a crowd waiting of dudes to waiting someone. to like see who showed up so that's what i mean is like even people i don't know i just don't i really don't understand the stealing of iphone thing because even if you do get the reward money like I don't know. It's just like who in their right mind would take the risk to go meet up with someone to actually give them the reward money? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. So like, like what's the benefit to this person? I, I don't know. know. Maybe they were a murderer. Maybe that was like a child bait. Natalia, are you ready to get into this week's episode? Today's episode focuses on a spooky multi-pronged expose that aims to explore a unique phenomenon known as the Black-Eyed Children. Ooh. The sources for this episode are varied, as most sightings derive from oral tradition and personal accounts. The origin of this story is constantly evolving as more people come forward with their personal experiences. Like most stories related to the paranormal, details and attributes of the sightings are highly debated. However, I will do my best to provide you all with as many details as possible from the sources linked in the show notes. 
It's up to you, the listener, to decide what is fact or fantasy. That said, according to this legend, the black-eyed children can only approach people who already know about their existence. No, so you're ma- you're haunting all of us. Literally, you're making it so that we might see the black-eyed children. If you want to minimize your chances of coming face-to-face with what is known as a black-eyed kid, I suggest you turn off this podcast and never look back. For the rest of you haunted creeps, let's dive in. But Natalia, I don't have the choice to not listen to it. So Allie, you told me perhaps you had heard of the Black Eyed Children. What do you know about them? Well, okay, I actually really don't know much. The only thing I know is I've definitely seen that phrase on like Reddit before. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's like an urban legend, but I don't know... I really don't know much beyond that. I don't know what the origin of this is. I don't know what they even do. I just know that it's supposed to be like a cryptid type thing, Mm -hmm. but it's also a human. I don't think it's an alien. So I don't know. I'm really not sure. I'm excited to learn about it. I mean, everyone who's like an expert in this subject is basically the same as you because it's a very mysterious, somewhat modern phenomenon. We don't know why they're here, what they want. And that's like sort of the lore behind it. So I would say like that is an accurate representation of what they are. I'm going to go ahead and give you guys some bullet points of different experiences and some of the commonalities that are found with black-eyed children. So the black-eyed children, sometimes known as black-eyed kids or BEK, are mysterious beings that can appear to be between the ages of six years old to 16 years old. They take a human form. They look like a child. Apparently, they can take many forms, but they always have one thing in common, large black eyes with no pupils or irises, (gasps) only huge black holes. That's terrifying because even if you've ever seen someone like on drugs where their pupils are really giant, it's so creepy staring at them and they still have an iris. Mm -hmm. So imagining like especially a child with no iris at all is very scary to me. Some say that the BEK are very pale and most often they're wearing strange clothes, clothes that are very old or out of season. For example, they'll be wearing hoodies when it's the middle of summer in the desert. Some say that they're wearing hoods or strange clothing because they're trying to conceal their identity. Sometimes they'll use hands over their eyes or wear sunglasses so that you cannot see their eyes. And the BEK all speak very oddly as if the language they're speaking is foreign to them. Nobody knows exactly what the BEK are, but for the most part, BEK only appear at night and they present themselves to adults who are alone. Most encounters with BEK take place where adults are in isolation, like a car in an empty parking lot or even at the doorstep of someone's home. The BEK are said to come in groups of two or more and they always ask the adult for help. BEK always need to come in to make a phone call, to get a ride back home, to use the bathroom, or get something to eat. And while their excuses are many, all of the BEK excuses have one thing in common. They always need to come inside. Based on known accounts, BEK must have permission from the adult to cross the threshold 
into their home or car. The BEK must be invited inside, which is why they always have a desperate excuse to come in. According to those who have encountered BEK, there is an extreme feeling of terror, fear, and anxiety, almost like a panic attack that washes over the adult as the BEK are asking for help. People who have experienced this phenomenon note that there's a primal urge to get away from what appears to be a helpless child. Yet, those who have had experiences with the BEK note that their bodies are almost acting on their own accord to let the children inside. They feel like they've lost control of their hands as their hands slowly move to open the door to let the children inside the home. They feel dread and they don't want to let the children in, but... Their bodies betray their thoughts and they find themselves reaching automatically as if on autopilot to let a child inside. Some say that the BEK have psychic powers and can even affect electrical devices. They are known to have an aura that disturbs animals. And no one really knows what the BEK are or what they want. Some hypothesize that they're extraterrestrials or UFOs, demons, vampires, maybe even shapeshifters. But almost all of the research on BEKs point to one person as having exposed the modern BEK phenomenon. That person's name is Brian Bethel. Brian Bethel. Okay, I'm there. I have so many thoughts swirling in my mind. The needing permission to cross the threshold sounds like a vampire. Right. But... Why are they children? I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird. It's it's like ghost-like. It's alien-like, which I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. It's cryptid-like. It's vampire-like. I don't know. It's very odd. Yeah. Side note, while I was researching this episode, I kept reading the term black-eyed kids as black-eyed peas. And then I was reminded of that song that's like, people killing, people dying, children hurt and even crying. If you practice what you preach instead of turn the other cheek. You know that song? Yeah, of course. I don't think that has anything to do with the episode, but I said that I would tell you everything I discovered. So you can decide if that's like some sort of synchronicity. I don't know. As you were <laughs> singing it, I was thinking, what if this song is about the black eyed kids? It's like some sort of mind control song that summons the black-eyed kids. The black-eyed peas summon the black-eyed children. Oh my God. And then they're like, I'm a bee, I'm a bee, I'm a bee. A black-eyed kid. (laughs) Although this legend has no official beginning, most sources that I encountered insisted that this phenomenon was first captured by a paranormal enthusiast and writer named Brian Bethel. According to one source, the earliest reported sighting had occurred in 1996 by Brian Bethel. Brian has what might be known as a blog these days, but in 1996, it was the infancy of the internet. So it was really more of like an email chain, a blast, or a thread. I was able to use the Wayback Machine and find an original thread, and the following is the original email that had caught the world's attention. It says, Evil Kids. It was sent on Friday, January 16th, 1998, from Brian Bethel, Brian Bet at Camelot.com, to <laughs> Ghost Discuss at Lido.com. The subject says, Those darned black eyed kids. Ghosters. Well, Believe it or not, the Rampage follow-up still languishes unfinished on my hard drive. I don't know when I'll have to get it done, 
and I'll probably have to break it up into multiple posts to get it in any way manageable. Patience, I pray. But since a lot of people seem to be requesting this one, here's some info on those darn black-eyed kids. I've just woken up from a mega nap. It's 1am. I'll never get to sleep again. So why not write, eh? I guess I was exhausted from too many forays onto 6th Street in Austin at my reporting conference. Enjoy. Or whatever. By the way, I just want to give some uh, clarification to this if it doesn't make sense. Brian is living in Texas and he is a writer. He also has this ghost, uh, like paranormal email blast that he sends out, like paranormal findings and stories that he's encountered to like enthusiasts. And this is the 90s, right? Yeah, this is 1998. Yes, this is actually very nostalgic because remember chain emails and like email newsletters and stuff. So this is very like of the time. Right. Yeah, exactly. So apparently Brian had two years before sent out a story of an encounter that had terrified him that he believed was paranormal in his thread and it caught the attention of a bunch of people got passed around a lot more people like added themselves to that email chain and so he continued to write in different paranormal stories and experiences but a lot of people were like no we want more of the black eyed kids we want more of the black eyed kids and brian insists that this was a personal experience that actually happened to him so he's like i know you guys want more content but that was like a one-time thing that happened to me and there's really nothing more to say however Two years later, now he's saying, hey, something happened and I have an update. Oh, man. Okay. That that makes it more real and more scary, Mm -hmm. right? Because if it's just an urban legend you're reading on the internet, then maybe you can like draw conclusions or create information from what you have. But this is actually something that happened to him. So he has no further information. Right. He says, I don't really know what I'd call this story if I was submitting it for publication and fate or something of its ilk. Brian versus the evil, black-eyed, possibly vampiric or demonic, but at least not bloody normal kids, doesn't really have much of a ring to it, shrug. But that's at least an accurate title. As so many things do, it all started out innocently. My internet service provider used to have offices in a shopping center before they moved to their comparatively lush accommodations elsewhere. There was a Dropbox at that original location. The monthly bill was due, and thus, there but for the grace of the net, I went. It was about 9.30 p.m. when I left. From my relatively isolated apartments, it's about 10 to 15 minutes or so to downtown. Abilene has a population of about 110,000 people. Right next to Camelot Communications' old location is a $1.50 movie theater. At the time, the place was featuring that masterwork of modern film, Mortal Kombat. I drove by the theater on the way into the center proper and pulled into an empty parking space. Using the glow of the marquee to write out my check, I was startled to hear a knock on the driver's side window of my car. I looked over and saw two children staring at me from the street. I need to describe them with the one feature, you can guess what it was, that I didn't realize until about halfway through the conversation. Cleverly omitted here. Both appeared to be in that semi-mystical stage of life children get into where you can't exactly tell their age. 
both were boys, and my initial impression is that they were somewhere between 10 to 14. Boy number one was the spokesman. Boy number two didn't speak during the entire conversation, at least not in words. Boy number one was slightly taller than his companion, wearing a pullover, hooded shirt with some sort of gray checked pattern jeans. I couldn't see his shoes. His skin was olive colored and had curly, medium length brown hair. He exuded an air of quiet confidence. Boy number two had pale skin with a trace of freckles. His primary characteristic seemed to be looking around nervously. He was dressed in a similar manner to his companion, but his pullover was a light green color. His hair was a sort of pale orange. They didn't appear to be related, at least directly. Oh great, I thought, they're going to hit me up for money. And then the air changed. I've explained this before, but for the benefit of any new lurkers out there, right before I experience something strange, there's a change in perception that comes about which I describe in the above manner. It's basically enough time to know it's too late. So there I was, filling out a check in my car, which was still running, and in sudden panic over the appearance of two little boys. I was confused, but an overwhelming sense of fear and unearthliness rushed in nonetheless. The spokesman smiled, and the sight, for some inexplicable reason, chilled my blood. I could feel fight-or-flight responses kicking in. Something I knew instinctually was not right, but I didn't know what it could possibly be. I rolled down the window very, very slightly and asked, Yes? The spokesman smiled again, broader this time. His teeth were very, very white. Hey, mister, what's up? We have a problem, he said. His voice was that of a young man, but his diction, quiet and calm, and something I still couldn't put my finger on, made my desire to flee even greater. You see, my friend and I want to see the films, but we forgot our money, he continued. We need to go to our house to get it. Want to help us out? Okay. Journalists are required to talk to a lot of people, and that includes children. I've seen and spoken to lots of them. Here's how that usually goes. Um, 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 mister, can I see that camera? I won't break it or anything, I promise. My dad has a camera, and he lets me hold it sometimes, I guess. And I took a picture of my dog. It wasn't very good, because I got my finger in the way. And add in some feet shuffling and her body swaying, and you've got the typical kid talking to a stranger. In short, they're usually apologetic. People generally teach children that when they talk to adults, they're usually bothering them for one reason or another, and they should at least be polite. This kid was in no way fitting the mold. His command of language was incredible, and he showed no signs of fear. He spoke as if my help was a foregone conclusion. When he grinned, it was as if he was trying to say, I know something, and you're not going to like it but the only way you're going to find out what it is will be to do what I say. Uh, well, was the best reply that I could offer. Now here's where it starts to get strange. The quiet companion looked at the spokesman with a mixture of confusion and guilt on his face. He seemed in some ways shocked, not with his friend's brute manner, but that I didn't just immediately open the door. He eyed me nervously. The spokesman seemed a bit perturbed, too. I still was registering something wrong with both. 
Come on, mister, the spokesman said again, smooth as silk. Car salesmen could learn something from this kid. Now, we just want to go to our house, and we're just two little boys. That really scared me. Something in the tone and diction again sent off an alarm. My mind was frantically trying to process what it was perceiving about the two figures that was wrong. Uh, um, uh, was all I could manage. I felt myself digging my fingernails into the steering wheel. What movie were you going to see? I asked finally. Mortal Kombat, of course, the spokesman said. The silent one nodded in affirmation, standing a few paces behind. Oh, I said. I stole a quick glance at the marquee and at the clock in my car. Mortal Kombat had been playing for an hour, the last showing of the evening. The silent one looked increasingly nervous. I think he saw my glances and suspected that I might be detecting something was not above board. Come on, mister, let us in. We can't get into your car until you do, you know, the spokesman said soothingly. Just let us in and we'll be gone before you know it. We'll go to our mother's house. We locked eyes. To my horror, I realized my hand had strayed towards the door lock, which was engaged, and I was in the process of opening it. I pulled it away, probably a bit too violently, but it did force me to look away from the children. I turned back. Uh, um, I offered weakly and... Then my mind snapped. For the first time, I noticed their eyes. They were coal black. No pupil, just iris. Just two staring orbs reflecting the red and white light of the marquee. At that point, I knew my expression betrayed me. The silent one had a look of horror on his face in combination that seemed to indicate A, the impossible had just happened, and B, we've been found out. The spokesman, on the other hand, wore a mask of anger. His eyes glittered brightly in the half-light. Come on, mister, he said. We won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. That last statement scared the living hell out of me because at that point by his tone, he was plainly saying, we don't need a gun. He noticed my hand shooting down towards the gear shift. The spokesman's final words contained an anger that was complete and whole and yet contained in some respects a tone of panic. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. I ripped the car into reverse. Thank goodness no one was coming up behind me and I tore out of that parking lot. I noticed the boys in my peripheral vision and I stole a quick glance back. They were gone. The sidewalk by the theater was deserted. I drove home in a heightened state of panic. Had anyone attempted to stop me, I would have run on through and faced the consequences later. I bolted into my house, scanning all around, including the sky. What did I just see? Maybe nothing more than some kids looking for a ride and some funky contacts? Yeah, right. My friend suggested that they were vampires, what with the old let us in bit, and my compelled response to open the door. That and the we'll go see our mother thing. I'm still not sure what they were, but here's an epilogue I find chilling. I talk about Chad a lot. He's still my best friend, my best ghost hunting companion, and an all-around cool guy. He recently moved to Amarillo, but at this time this happened, he was still living in San Angelo of Rampage fame. I called him and talked to him briefly. 
He had two female friends with him at the time. They were both professing some type of psychic ability. I started telling him the story, leaving out the part about the black eyes for the kicker. One of the women, we were on speakerphone, stopped me. These children had black eyes, right? She asked. I mean, all black eyes? Yes, I said. I was a bit taken aback. Hmm, she said. One night last week, I had a dream about children with black eyes. They were outside my house, wanting to be let in. But there was something wrong with them. It took me a while to realize it was the eyes. I hadn't even gotten as far as them wanting to come in. What did you do? I asked. I kept the doors and windows locked, she said. I knew if they came in, they would kill me. She paused. And they would have killed you, too, if you had let them into your car. So, from this extra-long post, we have three unanswered questions. A. What did I see? B. What would have happened if I opened my car door? C. Why does Chad always get the cool psychic chicks? Winky face. Well, there you have it. I'll write some more later, but for now, your comments are always welcomed. Brian. Brian Bet at Camelot.com. What do you think of that email? Brian's real, right? This is a real guy. Yes, he's a real guy. He's done interviews. Uh, let me show you a picture of yeah. him. Yeah, this is very interesting, especially I don't know why the fact that this has been going on since the 1990s and is still being talked about in places like Reddit and 4chan is very interesting to me because like I said my only exposure to it had been like seeing the words black eyed kids on some Reddit post that I didn't read and so I was thinking it was like a new urban legend but mm -hmm. this has been around a while. Yeah if you go into Google or search engine and type in Brian Bethel a bunch of stuff will come up about him because he's currently employed as a news reporter for a local Abilene newspaper and he's like an award-winning journalist. Wow, yeah, I'm looking at his picture. He just looks like a normal dude. Um, he's got glasses. He's got a little like goatee mustache situation going on. He's got a little side part on his blonde hair. Yeah, it just looks like a normal dude. And when you Google him, Brian Bethel, it pops up as reporter. And the first um, thing you can look at is his Instagram. And yeah, he just looks like a normal guy. Like there's pictures of him. He just looks like your average everyday dude who happens to be a reporter. Like, I don't know what I'm ever expecting when I hear about paranormal encounters. And you think I would know better by now because we have this podcast. But for whatever reason, whenever I picture someone who's like, hey, I saw this thing or I did this thing, I'm always picturing like, yeah, like a very mystical, like psychic really? person that already has like medium capabilities. I'm not picturing just like your average like reporter. Right. Yeah. I'm always picturing that meme of it's I think it's Charlie from Always Sunny where he's like connecting all of those red yes. strings and he's like, ah, and his eyes are crazy. Yeah. 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 That's Pepe Silva. Yeah. <laughs> After that story, and I should add to say here that I haven't been able to find, like, the original source for that, like, email thread thing, but it could just be that it was, like, a small uh, a small email sent to a few people, so why would it be in the Wayback Machine? Exactly. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, um, Wayback Machine only works if somebody has already archived that website. Right. So somebody would have had to have typed in... And, and it wouldn't work for emails. So right. yeah, if it was an email blast, it makes sense why we don't have the original thing because what's someone going to do? Print off the email and then 20 years from when it was sent out, scan it and upload it to the internet? I doubt it. After that story went 1996's version of viral, 
which is basically, it's just shared all over the internet in email threads and blogs, it created quite a stir among paranormal enthusiasts. Everyone who heard the story, they wanted to hear more, but Brian had nothing else to give. Brian insisted that this wasn't a work of fiction, and it was, at least for him, a terrifying yet isolated incident. Fans of the story would just have to accept that it was a one-time happening. And almost for a year, Brian had no new details on the BEK. But then in November, almost a year after his initial post, Brian had an update. Brian wrote again to the group. This says, to Cricket, which is Royal Oak at PINN.net. And then it's CC'd to Ghost Discuss at Aurora.cdb.com. Subject, they're back. The date says November 14th, 1998. Some of you may get this twice. Sorry, I'm mass posting this. My apologies. In short, for those in the know, which is most of you, they're back. Yes, I mean they, them, those, the infamous black-eyed kids. But not to me. This time, they've appeared to a trusted friend who didn't know my original story. I'm a channel operator on the undernet, hashtag ghost channel. Generally a fun time is had by all, but last night was not. This is going to be very, very long, people. I'm sorry. I should preface this by saying that John Northwood is one of my very good internet friends, a gentleman of high intelligence and candor. He's an investigator for Spirit, a pagan rights coordinator in his home state of Oregon, and one of the nicest fellows I've ever met. He doesn't joke around about the paranormal, which is why this scares me to no end. I'm absolutely certain it's true. John and I had never talked about the black-eyed kids before. In fact, he wasn't aware that I had an experience like this. He swears that all of the text below is true, and I believe him. So this is Nat. I am taking us out of this little thread for a moment to explain what's going to happen. So this is a transcript that Brian had, like, this is like a conversation that Brian had had with one of his good internet friends and some other like paranormal enthusiasts on this uh, ghost channel, which was like basically a chat room where you just talk about paranormal stuff. So I have shortened a lot of this just to include the most relevant information. All of the replies are either Brian or someone else who's asking a question that prompts John, Brian's friend, to say something else. So Allie is going to read anything that's not John and just know that everything she's reading was actually said in the thread. It just didn't all come from the same person. Got it. Everything I'm reading came from Brian's friend, John Northwood, who is the pagan rights activist for Spirit, which Hell I think, yeah. didn't we talk about that in the Angela Sanford episode? There was that guy oh, that was like with the sword I bet photo. you we may have. Yeah, and he was like a pagan rights activist for Spirit. And he was like, Angela Sanford was not a witch. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> John says, I was in downtown Portland, Oregon after a seminar series on software development. I'd grabbed a bite of dinner about 10 p.m. and when I left, it was about 11-ish. I'd gotten into my car, locked and belted up, and just started the engine when something tapped on my window. This sounds incredibly familiar, John. I was in an above-ground garage on the third floor, so I wasn't too freaked. Good lighting. There's still some people around. It was one of the guys from the conference, so I rolled down my window and asked him what was up. He wanted a ride around the block a few times as he was freaked out about who was standing outside his car. 
I figured, so sue me, that it was some of Portland's homeless or some punker kids. So being a good Samaritan, I let him in and we drove off. We drove by his car and there were three kids around it, two boys and a girl. The girl was mm, weird, just freaky, you know, clothes and hair and makeup, gothamatic. The two kids were, uh, I don't know, just scary as shit. That's goths for you. How old, roughly? She was probably 14 or 15. The oldest boy was probably 14-ish, and the youngest between 10 and 12. She looked bored and was smoking a cigarette. The two boys were just leaning against the car. They looked way too intense for kids. Anyway, I just started itching behind my eyes. Like, I needed to really look at them. So, like an ass, I slowed down. Big mistake. The two boys sauntered over and the girl stayed against the car. The eldest was on Doug's side and the youngest was on mine. I made sure the doors were locked. I love electronic locks and asked why they were standing around his car. The young one said, it's scary out there all alone and we just wanted a ride home. The eldest one said, you promised you'd help us out. And Doug said, I don't even know you. By this time, I was really on edge. I felt caught between throwing up and jazzing. Adrenaline does that to me. All of a sudden, Doug said that he was getting out of the car, and I told him not to. As soon as he reached for the handle, the two kids, I just don't know how to say this right, they looked a lot older. Their faces were somewhat drawn and their eyes were solid black. Edge to edge, no pupil, no iris, nothing. Just a liquid black pool. I just about wet myself, slapped the car into reverse and burned rubber backing out about 60 feet away. They started running after the car, so I spun around one of the support struts and we took off. I kid you not, I was convinced that if they got a hold of the car, I was going to die. And not in anything approaching a pleasant fashion. Anyway, the oldest one was at the bottom of the garage when we came out and almost made it to my side door. Preservation instinct prevails yet again. We'd gone down from the third floor doing 30-ish, maybe 35 around the ramp. He'd beaten us down the stairs and onto the sidewalk. Anyway, we left him on the corner and when I turned to look, nothing. He was gone. Doug just about passed out. All of a sudden, the feeling of menace left. I've never heard of a sighting of those entities in human bodies, though I've had my speculation on the fact that it could happen. Did you ever go back there? We went back about 10 minutes later. No one was around his car. He got out, got in his car, and drove home. He said that he had met the young one earlier in the evening and had said that he'd taken him home, had even given him a short ride in his car to the seminar and told him to wait. Apparently, though, the older brother scared him, so... He felt that all bets were off. I was behind him about 45 feet when the feeling of menace hit again. At that moment, Doug misjudged going across an intersection on a yellow light and his car was hit by a truck. He was killed instantly. I gave a police report and the whole time felt really freaked out and very exposed. That is one freaky ass story. I got back to my car, got in, locked the door, and waited. I saw the kids again from about two blocks away. Wow. I'm not making it up. I'm not thinking they were vampires or something like that, but they weren't as pale, they weren't as skinny, and they felt a damn sight more menacing. 
I left quickly. My only concern now is that this upcoming Wednesday, I'm going back to the area for another seminar and I won't be leaving until 9.30. I'm freaked out, people. And then that is the end of the chat thread. I like, I almost gasped when he said his friend got hit by a car, like got T-boned and died right. that night. I know. I was like not expecting that, right? Crazy. So like, so traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. So Brian continues in the post underneath that transcript he had posted there that Allie and I just read. Brian says, okay, now this is the commentary. I've been haunted, no pun intended, by this story ever since I decided to share it. Rather than the ridicule I expected, it seems that it touches some sort of strange primal chord in people. I've been trying, of course, to move beyond and forget all of these events, but inevitably something comes along to remind me of it. Apparently, I've become something of an urban legend. I have people ask me all the time on the net, Hey, did you read the ghost story about the guy who saw the black-eyed kids who wanted to get in his car? Yeah, that was me. Really? Cool. Not exactly. And that's something that I just can't seem to get the point across about. This was not cool. It was not just like being in a Stephen King novel or any of the inane comments that sometimes go along with it. It was real, though sometimes it made me feel crazy. And now I have a report from someone I trust that an extremely similar event has occurred and even resulted in the death of someone, at least indirectly, in a word, help? I need thoughts. I need ideas. I need to calm down. But beyond all that, I just want to know what people think about this. I've protected myself in my own manner. I'm not worried about any danger to me, but this is too close to what I experienced to be a mere coincidence. Your thoughts are welcomed. Brian, what do you think of that? It's... I just, like, what are the odds, right? Like, what are the odds that Brian experiences this and then his friend experiences the same thing not long after. Mm-hmm. Did the did these incidents, do we know if they all happened in the same city or do we not know? Brian's happened in Texas and John's happened, I guess, in Oregon. Yeah, he said he was in downtown yeah. Oregon. And he said Portland's homeless population. Yeah. Like he was expecting to see that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, and especially the fact that they're children because if they were older then, you know, maybe the skeptic brain could explain it away and be like, oh, it's clearly like people that took a bunch of E and now their mm-hmm. eyes are so like huge. Their pupils are so huge that you can't see the iris. And so we're misinterpreting that as being like a giant black iris. Mm-hmm. But these are children. Right. That's very creepy. And also the idea of children just alone on the street is already fucking scary. Like, why is there just a child wandering the street at night? Yeah. I don't know. It's scary. What do you think of it? I don't know. I mean, I know the skeptics are going to be like, well, this could just all be a creepypasta. And like, they just like made up all of this and whatever. Like, you guys, we're beyond all that. We're right? beyond yeah, that. Like, that's, we're not wasting time with that. So I, I think that, yeah, like what you're saying, it's weird. Like, my first thought is, okay, is this like something that's starting to happen more? Are these the same things that Brian had seen? You know, are they evolving? Are they here doing some sort of recon? Are they spies? Are they alien spies? Like, is this a new drug that's going around that, like, makes yeah. people kind of, like, crazy? But then... MK Ultra is this mind control. Yeah, and it, like, ex- like causes them to get some sort of blood that goes behind their eyes or something and makes them look black. I don't oh, know. fuck. 
after this happened, you know, Brian has this story going around. It's creepy. People are really interested in it. They want to hear more about the black-eyed children or black-eyed kids. Some time elapses, and in 2012, prompted by interest in Brian Bethel's first published story about the black-eyed children, Brian was asked to appear in a reality sort of like Discovery Channel travel TV series entitled Monsters and Mysteries in America. His appearance seemed to contradict some of the details of his original story. I looked up the episode and I found it. It's the typical paranormal documentary show format. Like all the images are super high contrast. You know, you have like actor portrayals. There's dramatic cutaway music. It's it's cheesy. It's heightened. The portion that Brian appears in is part of an episode consisting of several stories entitled Devil's Highway, Black-Eyed Kids, and Mountain Curse. The episode is set in the Badlands, like the Badlands. This contradicts Brian's original story as having taken place in Texas. The show introduces Brian as this award-winning journalist and a working writer. The producers emphasize Brian's credibility as a journalist to add to the authenticity of his story and, and solidify the believability of their own show. But the show had the opposite effect on Brian's reputation. The producers used Brian's account as a bridge connecting their stories in the Badlands, a place of no relation to Brian's original story, to other stories to string along in the episode. In the show, a narrator insisted that after Brian wrote the original story, it spread across the Badlands and inspired other people to come forward with their stories. And then they had a bunch of other people doing eyewitness accounts of their own black-eyed children's stories. Basically, they used Brian. It was a content farm. Even before the episode came out, Brian wrote an article for his newspaper discounting the credibility of the show and attempting to distance himself from it. And if we read it, it's not hard to see why. In an article for the Abilene Reporter News published in April of 2013, Brian confesses. Sometime last year, I was contacted by a television program that wanted to interview me about a strange event that happened a few years ago. With a touch of reluctance, I agreed. The show itself runs tonight at 9 p.m. CST on the Destination America channel. It's a travel program, at least in certain respects. A cameraman and an interviewer came here last year and shot some footage of me and others in a rented home they used as a backdrop out and about in Abilene in a local coffee shop, etc. They kept insisting that I call the area the Badlands, and having visited the actual Badlands in South Dakota, I protested, but the producers kept at it, and in the interest of just getting through the experience, I demurred, all the while explaining no one no one calls this place the Badlands. So I want to clarify here that basically Brian's like agreed to go on some sort of travel show. He doesn't know like what what it's for yet, but he wants to talk about his experience and they ask him about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, it happened here in Abilene. I was at the parking lot. Like he tells the whole story about the kids coming up and they're like, no, 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 but call it the Badlands. And he's like, but no one here calls it the Badlands. Right. And I've been to the Badlands and it's like nothing like it's wrong. And the show was like, no, like this is technically the Badlands. Like talk about it as if it's the Badlands. And he's just kind of like, OK. And like everyone's treating him like he's crazy. Like he has like a full production there telling him like, no, say it's the Badlands because this is a show about the Badlands. Right. And he's like, but 
no one in, who lives in Texas calls this the Badlands. And he's like, but maybe I guess other people who don't live here call it that. I don't know. You know, I feel it. My first reaction to hearing this is I'm like, this could totally happen to us. Oh, where yeah. like someone is like, hey, I listened to your episode. I think you're really cool. Like, why don't you come on this show and you'll like explain your story. And then I feel like with a, the trick of editing mm-hmm. and like leading questions, it could just make someone look really stupid. Exactly. Brian continues. Being the one interviewed was different. I kept being asked to stop, to repeat certain things with more emphasis or emotion, and to rephrase something to make it more concise or to better coincide with the version of the kind but somewhat intense interviewer. The experience was similar to, but in many ways profoundly different from what I do. Despite a few bumps along the way, it ended up being a positive experience. No compensation was involved. The only real sacrifice was some time to tell and retell and take after take the single story. I write for a lot of reasons. I'd do it even if I didn't get paid to do so. So I wrote down the story of what happened more or less as a cathartic exercise and I shared it with a small group of friends on an email list. From there, it got out to the wider internet and grew and grew and grew. Type my name in Google and you'll find it soon enough. In time, there was a term coined for what I had seen, BEKs, black-eyed kids. I wouldn't have chosen it personally, but it's the acronym the internet knows. I'm pretty easy to track down, and so I still get calls, emails, and inquiries from people all over the world who want to know more about what I saw, what I think they were, and what the encounter means in some cosmic sense. I've been contacted by everyone from Korean television stations planning New Year's Eve shows to regular people who just wanted to talk. More interesting to me has been sporadic, but more than occasional contact from people who think they may have seen something similar. Some narratives follow the template of my original encounter a bit too slavishly, and those are easy to dismiss, but others have a more than subtle ring of the same sort of panic and helplessness I felt. Similar experiences have been now in places of suburban neighborhoods to your standard dark alleys throughout the country, possibly beyond. Kids like the ones I saw have allegedly been seen wandering through certain 24-hour big box retailers in the middle of the night and banging on front doors of numerous witnesses. Are all of these accounts true? Unlikely. Are there enough to at least reinforce my belief that I've encountered something truly strange? Definitely. Since my story leaked out to the wider internet, I've gone through several phases. For a while, I eagerly answered any and all correspondence about the happening. A few years later, I got tired of answering the same questions over and over again, and I read, but largely didn't reply to inquiries. But with age and distance from the event, curiosity has had a rebirth, so when a television program called Monsters and Mysteries in America gave me a call asking if they could do an interview for me about that long ago night, I said yes. I've never wanted the reporter news to be a venue for the story. It's easy enough to find online, as I said. And call it a weakness or maybe common sense, but I prefer to keep my encounters with the paranormal separate from my award-winning journalism career. But one of my provisions my bosses at the paper made in exchange for me potentially making a fool of myself on TV was for me to tell the story here. And so I have. Do I expect you to believe me blindly? Of course not. I might not believe it myself if I heard such a story from someone else. What did I see? Your guess is literally as good as anyone's. I've had everything from vampires to demons to ghosts to aliens to a somewhat detailed hallucination posited as possibilities. I do feel like I can say this with some authority. 
This was back in the day when freaky coal black contacts weren't widely available to a couple kids in Abilene, Texas for anything under a small fortune. And there wasn't enough time to even put such things on in the short amount of time I broke the spokesman's gaze, if they could even afford them. Will I ever know for certain what I saw? Probably not. Do I ever care to see them again? Hell no. As much as I still don't know about what happened that night and why, here's one thing that I do know. It's a gut feeling, but one that rises to a level of almost certainty. If I had given the spokesman and his friend a ride on that long ago evening, I don't think I would be here to type this now. End of story. So I can see why Brian felt the need to distance himself from the show. I mean, they used him and his story as a link to other unrelated stories, which created new fictitious details to Brian's story. It kind of made him look crazy because now there's changing details to his stories because the producers like invented new details. I just, uh, reality TV like exploits people who don't understand how productions are done. And I feel like this would just be really easy. Easy, super easy to fall into. And also if the producers were this, like I would call it unethical. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody, if somebody comes to us, like we've interviewed witnesses before on the show. If somebody comes to me with a story that they have firsthand account, I don't then get to change the details of their story. That's Mm -hmm. not how that works. I don't get to mold it to fit my narrative that I would like to portray. So if these producers were already that unethical, then who's to say that they didn't just pay some random people from Craigslist to also say, oh yeah, I saw a black eyed kid and create this like new narrative that is so hokey and cheesy, like you said, that now it discredits every perhaps like real life situation where someone saw a black eyed kid. Yeah. You know, like now we can't trust it. Now we're like, is Brian full of shit? Are some, is his friend full of shit? Are these other people who are on Reddit and 4chan who have reported seeing black eyed kids? Are they full of shit? Because this television program that came out was so cheesy and dumb and added like false narratives into the mix. Yeah, yeah. And so in that time period between him having that, like, you know, in the late 90s, that thread where his original email went out and finding out that his, you know, friend had had similar experience that led to someone's death. Brian, like, didn't have any else, anything else to say about it, but people ran with it. You know, they they started talking to him about their own stories. And he was like, this is really interesting because he's trying to figure out what it is that he saw and, like, try to make sense of it. So if someone's like, hey, I have something similar that happened to me. Here's what happened. He's going to be interested in finding out more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like a it's a phenomenon that is not just exclusive to him. Right. So he wants, as like a paranormal investigative journalist, he wants to figure out what are the common threads to see if he can solve it, which is yeah. very relatable to us. Yeah. And like I said, he has like an award-winning just career as a journalist for the Abilene newspaper. So if you look him up, there's like all kinds of articles that are not paranormal. They're just normal articles. Right. And he says, you know, I really like to keep this kind of separate because it's going to discredit him as a news reporter if people think that he's just making shit up for clout, essentially. Yeah. And so his newspaper was like, hey, we'll let you respond to this just so that it doesn't like so you can explain uh, yourself so that it doesn't make us look bad for having some news reporter that makes up stories. Yeah, it's a tough position for Brian to be in. Yeah. A bit before Brian had written that article that defended his reality TV appearance, there was a Kickstarter funded for this movie called The Black Eyed Kids. 
The movie was supposedly released on December 21st, 2012, which is numerically 12, 21, 12. Oh. Do you remember that was like right when the Mayan calendar ended? So everyone thought that the world was going to end? Yes. Yeah, my point being, it was all really campy. Within months, BEK fever was back in full swing and tabloids began to publish several accounts featuring BEK around that same time. In 2013, MSN ran an episode on Weekly Strange, which featured black-eyed children, and that was met with harsh criticism by skeptics. In 2014, the British tabloid The Daily Star ran a series of three front-page stories featuring people who claimed to have BEK sightings. But according to skeptics, the sales from that tabloid had in some way benefited the sale of this pub in Staffordshire, which claimed to be haunted, which doesn't really make sense to me. Like the skeptics are saying, oh, because this pub was sold and advertised as haunted by the tabloids, the tabloids were just making shit up to sell that pub. It's like saying, oh, 9-11 made firefighters look brave. Therefore, firefighters made up how scary 9-11 was. Yeah. I mean, that's not a good analogy, but it's like provocative and gets the people going. Right, right, right. No, I feel you. (laughs) But also like, what is the connection? Were they trying to say that the pub had black eyed children sightings? Yeah, like it that the black eyed children sightings had happened in and around that community. And there was like some urban legends going around that one of the places to see black eyed kids was like at that pub. And then the pub okay. goes up for sale. But to me, it could also go the opposite way. Like yeah. if I owned a place and like all of a sudden it became famous for being haunted and I was like not trying to be haunted, I would be like, fuck this place. I'm selling it. Right. Well, and also that doesn't mean like if they're saying, oh, this pub needed to be sold. So the townsfolk made up a story saying that black eyed children had been seen in their town and at that pub to benefit the sale of the pub. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. To me. Like, okay. It could have been just as easily the opposite way, which is, yeah, there were already black eyed children sightings in this area. And then a guy put up his pub for sale. Like, yeah. why? Why does it have to be the other way around? That's why I hate skeptics. Like, they can't yeah. ever think of, they can't give people the benefit of the doubt. They draw conclusions that have no evidence just the same way that people who aren't skeptics do but then they somehow think that their shit is like more logical just because it doesn't feature like aliens and shit exactly i'm sorry i'll take the cool alien black-eyed child entity any day over thinking that society is just so shitty that some guy created a story to sell a pub (laughs) yeah 2015 seemed to be the height of the bek discovery That same year, possibly prompted by a lot of the media that was going around, several stories began circulating in paranormal spaces online. And there's a lot. So I've chosen a few of my favorites in an interest to save time. But rest assured that there are hundreds more. You guys can look up all of them. Everyone's got one. I couldn't find the original source for this particular story but it is one that a lot of people think of as like the pillars of BEK stories. It's from an article that was published in 2017 on a website called pararational.com and it quotes this viral BEK story. According to the article, a couple who lived in this rural secluded area of Vermont encountered BEK. Quote, it was a stormy winter night and there was a fresh blanket of snow on the ground. The victim was asleep, but she was awoken by a banging on her front door. Knowing that it was snowing and that the roads would be treacherous, her first thought was that 
Someone had been in an accident and had walked to their home for help. She looked out the window and saw fresh footprints in the snow, and the motion light at their front door was on. She woke her husband up and sent him to see who was at the door. When I looked out the window, I could see that our motion spotlight was on. I could see that there were footprints in the snow that had come from our road and onto our driveway, but there was no car anywhere. The snow was still covering the road and no one had driven on it for at least a couple hours. Our front door was obscured from the window, but I could see that someone was standing there. I wasn't sure what to think, so I woke my husband up just to feel safer. When I was telling him what was going on, the banging on the door started and my husband went to answer it while I stood in the hallway. When I opened the door, there were two children standing in the snow looking towards the ground. They were a boy and a girl and could not have been more than eight years old. They were dressed strangely and had odd haircuts. The girl's hair was very long and straight and the boy had a dated haircut that looked almost like a bowl cut. They weren't dressed for winter and my first thought was that they must have been Mennonite children. But as far as I know, there was never a large community of Mennonites near us. The children were very unnerving. They would not make eye contact, and when my husband asked them if everything was okay, they asked if they could come in. My husband joked at me like, what do I do? And I asked the kids where their parents were. They'll be here soon, is all they said. Despite their reservations, the couple had let the children in and started doing what anyone would do if they found a couple of kids in a snowstorm. They made the kids something warm to drink, and they got them comfortable until their parents were to get there. Our parents will be here soon, they spoke in a sing-songy voice. They weren't afraid to be in a stranger's home at all. I started to notice that our cats, we had four, were all hiding except Pigeon who was in the kitchen with me. Normally our cats are very friendly and we have to be careful that they don't run out the door when we leave. This time, none of them even tried to see who was here, which I thought was very strange. All of the hair on Pigeon's neck was standing up and his tail was puffed up while he looked in the living room. When I bent down to pick him up and see what was wrong, he hissed and started growling and backed up until he had hid himself under the kitchen island. I've never seen him do that. Up until this point, the children had been avoiding making eye contact, but as I walked back into the living room, I locked eyes with them and I saw that they were different. When they looked up at me, their eyes were completely black. They had no whites, just giant pupils. Upon seeing her reaction to the eyes, the two children excused themselves and go as a pair to the bathroom. As soon as the children left, the couple started talking about the kids and the husband spontaneously had a nosebleed. This was something that had never happened to the husband before. The woman had gone to get some tissue out for her husband's nose and was just heading back to him when the power went out. In the dark, she found that the children were done in the bathroom. Unfazed by the dark, they were just standing in the hall. I stopped dead in my tracks. The two children were standing at the end of the hallway. They weren't moving, and I've never been so scared in my whole life. They just stood there in the dark. And after what felt like forever, the boy said, Our parents are here. And they walked to the door, opened it, and walked out, leaving it wide open. The wife rushed to close the door behind the children, and the couple was taken aback by what they saw in the driveway. Apparently, the children's parents that they had referred to 
were actually two men driving a black car. The men looked like they were wearing black colored suits and were very tall, at least six feet. When my husband waved at them, they just stared at us, got into the car, and drove off. I mean, thank God that the children left. That's it. That's now I'm wondering, though, like, why did the children leave? Like, what what was their purpose to go into this home with their vacuous black eyes? And like, did they steal like a piece of the soul of these people? Or were they going to do something crazy? And then at the last minute decided not to because the people were kind to them? I don't know. Or maybe like those people writing the story were weird as fuck. They were like, hey, we need help. They go in there and they're like, she just dropped two mugs full of hot chocolate all over the ground, shattered the mugs everywhere, didn't say anything and just continued to stare at us. And (laughs) also her cats are fucking weird and like hissing at her. And like, I think she's an animal abuser, possibly a pedophile. I don't know what's happening here. Let's get the fuck out. That's actually really funny. Like, so our goal as like mere mortals should be to be so freaky that we freak out the ghosts and make them go away. (laughs) Yeah, that story though is why a lot of people think that perhaps the BEK are connected to the men in black. I was about to say like they have the fancy three-letter acronym just like the FBI, the MIB. Right. A bunch of like people have been interested in BEK like phenomena. As you know how it goes, there's like a subreddit that's created called Black Eyed Kids. It's actually private. Like I asked to join it um, and I haven't gotten in yet. But that just goes to show you like how protective the community is because the skeptics are like so mad that people People have these common experiences or that they would have the audacity to write a story that perhaps is continuing the legacy of this internet urban legend. Like, how dare you? You know, dude, skeptics get a life, right? So I don't think this is related, but it scared the shit out of me. So I'm going to show you. This was posted and is sometimes used as like a possible example of a BEK being caught on camera. Oh, shit. There was a Reddit user called Fat and Depressed that made (laughs) a post about a possible BEK encounter. And he had a photo of someone at his door that was caught on his doorbell camera. And I'm going to show it to you and you describe it to people. Um, no, please get that away from me. Holy fucking shit. Natalia is showing me this is the scariest shit I've ever seen in my life there is a skinny male person i get it looks like yeah preteen or something just leaning into a ring doorbell camera with the blackest eyes and just like a vacant expression and its arms are crossed behind its back and it's just leaning in that is not normal like that's not like you know a random person is coming to the door being like oh i need help with this or that like no this is scary as shit go to at let's get haunted on instagram if you want to see this yes if this is not a bek this is still somebody that has like ulterior motives that photo that i just showed you blew up the internet the reddit user was like attacked by redditors wanting more information so they posted a follow-up that said for all of the pms and comments regarding if i'm alive yes i am I have been very busy with a wide spectrum of things in life. Visitor never returned, thankfully. Thank you, everyone, who checked on a stranger's well-being, end quote. And then they included a screenshot of doorbell alerts that, like... So, basically, they had posted, so you can see all that, that that their doorbell went off. Oh, my God. Yeah, it says, Vivint, your doorbell detected a visitor. And then a couple minutes later, your doorbell detected a visitor. 
And then a few hours later, your doorbell detected a visitor. Your doorbell detected a visitor. Your Oh my God, there's like 10 notifications all from different times. Yeah, so one was on Sunday at 1027 and then Sunday at 1133, Monday at 448 a.m. and then Monday at 1132 p.m. and then Tuesday at midnight and then Tuesday at 1235 a.m. and then Tuesday at 1252 a.m. and then Tuesday at 407 a.m. And basically this person just posted that picture and was like, I looked on my fucking doorbell and I saw that. And uh, they also continued on, yes, this was real. Basically, I kept getting notifications on my app that my doorbell detected a visitor, yet when I checked the first few times, nothing appeared. So I figured it was just maybe a stray dog or someone else on the sidewalk that was like detected by the sensor. Several notifications later, I checked it again and this is what appeared. Yes, I am alive. And that was their last post about the incident. So they didn't imply that it was BEK. Some other people did in the comments. Well, I can see why they implied that because yeah, it looks like a preteen boy with super dark black eyes, like no sclera, right. no white, no iris, just like a fucking demon person. And this is why a, a few like actually maybe a month ago now I tweeted out legalize booby traps and this is exactly what i'm talking about you should be allowed to booby trap the shit out of your home like sorry to the girl scouts that come knocking on the door to sell me cookies but if i have a no soliciting sign you should stay the fuck away or else you fall into a pit (laughs) yeah i don't know how i'd react to seeing that no yeah no, this is why, like, we need, like, a beehive that gets triggered by, like, walking and hitting your leg against a fishing wire and the beehive falls on the black-eyed kid's head and, like, <laughs> he runs away. Okay, I'm going to have Allie read the next account. It's off of hauntediary.com. You can go ahead and read that one. I have read many accounts of these black-eyed kids, but I don't think any really came close to what happened to me when I let two into my house. Some people think that if you let them in, that they will kill you. Obviously, I can say that this is not true. This is what happened. I was sitting in my bedroom at home when I heard a knock on the door. It wasn't too late, so I didn't hesitate to open up the door to whoever it was. When I opened it, there were two children standing there. Both were looking at the floor. Yes, I said. The taller one asked if they could come in, as they were lost and the boy needed the toilet. I live in an area where it is very easy to get lost, so I just assumed they were telling the truth and were looking down because they were shy, even though the one talking spoke very confidently. So I let them in. The one who needed the toilet just walked in and straight up the stairs. So I shouted up, it's on the right. I don't know why I didn't find this strange, but I guess most toilets are upstairs. And as he was young, I didn't think anything of it. I told the other one that the phone was down the hall. Thanks, he said, and he started to walk down the hall. I followed him and then I suddenly came over with a really awful feeling like something bad was going to happen. I became very nervous and a bit shaky. I still can't explain how that happened. The boy stopped at the phone and paused. Everything okay? I asked. He turned to me and looked up, and that's when I saw his eyes. And trust me, I will never get that picture out of my head. I was so scared that I couldn't even scream as I turned to run down the hall. The other kid was standing at the end. I became very dizzy and struggled to stand. He walked closer to me and said that they had been sent to collect me. I still couldn't bear to look into his face. I pushed away from him and ran into my front room and slammed the door shut. I was in so much shock about what was happening that I couldn't think straight. This is something that you don't even expect to happen even in the movies. 
After standing against the door for around an hour or so, I finally got the courage to make a run for the back door. So I ran to it, unlocked it, and ran to the back of my garden and jumped over the fence, not once looking back. My friend lived close, so I ran to his house. I told him the story, and as I guessed he was a bit of a skeptic about it, I convinced him to come back with me. When we got there, we looked around the whole house but couldn't find them. Ever since this happened, I always have a dream that these kids with the black eyes stand over my bed with their hands stretching out to me. I hope to God that I never see them again. That is fucking scary. Yeah, right? So that one, I don't know. I don't know. That one doesn't seem as like legit as the other ones to me, but you know. This person though, like just by the way they're writing and the way that they're talking, it sounds like they're from like a really rural part of the US. And so they're probably thinking, like they said, like, oh yeah, I'm kind of in this rural area where like people get lost a lot. Like, oh, there's these two kids, whatever, no big deal. They can use my phone. But the idea of like not really seeing the kids' eyes until they look up at you and then just seeing these like so scary black holes is super fucking freaky. But also, what were the kids doing there? This is what I want to know. And maybe we never learn the answer. Maybe we do. I don't know. But what did the BEK fucking want? Hmm. Why do they come in? One went upstairs, like, what's the one upstairs doing? Just standing in the corner of the hallway, like, staring at the wall? Like, what are they searching for? Hmm. And then they said they came to collect him, right? Yeah. Which makes me think of aliens. Right. Or, like, demons, I guess. Yeah. Like, maybe dragging someone down to hell. Oh. I don't know. It's fucking creepy. Yeah, weird. Even though skeptics claim that Brian Bethel had invented the BEK, there is a urban legend that goes back to 1950 that seems to serve as a possible BEK sighting. I don't know where the sources are for this. I've just read several instances of this story and a lot of people use it to kind of like uh, suggest that BEK have been around longer. So I'm just going to read you what the legend is according to all the sources that I read. According to the legend, a 16-year-old named Harold was walking to his Virginia home when he saw a kid leaning on a nearby fence. Harold said hello, but the boy said nothing in response. When Harold turned to leave, the boy said, I want to go to your house. You're going to walk me up to your house. That was when Harold saw the boy's eyes. They were pitch black. All of Harold's instincts told him to run away, but he was paralyzed. As if reading Harold's thoughts, the boy responded aloud, Now don't you run away from me. You're going to walk me up to your house. Somehow, Harold was finally able to move and he sprinted back home. Harold claimed as he ran away to hear the child let out a bobcat scream, but he didn't look back to see where the noise had come from. Harold told his parents about the creepy black-eyed boy, and the legend says that his parents believed him. In fact, Harold's father got his gun out and went to the spot where Harold saw the kid because his father had believed Harold had seen the devil. They never found the kid or a devil, but Harold was sent to a local priest at his mother's request. That story is like, I remember reading that and being like, okay, if this, if I was Harold, I would be dead because I would really want a bobcat friend. I would be like, 
oh my god i knew i was like a wizard and animals talk to me like wow main character vibes like i'm eliza <laughs> thornberry you know <laughs> right have bobcat screams are so fucking scary though they sound like a woman screaming mm. for bloody murder at the top of her lungs what okay wait let me play one and so people who are camping will like record themselves hearing a bobcat scream and and they'll like call 911 Well, that sounds like a woman having sex. But, I know it does. But there's like other screams that are just like crazy high pitched, like bloody murder. <laughs> Try how, to find a different one. How is that not just a person having sex? Creepy. This is what a bobcat sounds like. Scary. 12 miles north of Boston. Sound on. There it is. What is that? It's no noise that needs to be happening. No. Ever. <laughs> no, that noise doesn't make me want to camp. Yeah, so there's a bunch of Black Eyed Kids stories. Uh, like I said, there's this subreddit, r slash Black Eyed Kids stories that just has not let me in. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they, they can look through my history and see that I'm on a paranormal podcast. Right. Maybe they don't want someone to like go farm their like stories. That makes or sense. they're going to be like, yeah, I'll give you my story if you give me money or something. I don't know. Yeah, I know that's interesting. Like part of me is like, is it an, an inactive subreddit? But no, I'm sure it's active. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's just like you said, maybe they feel like ridiculed and they don't want people from like media getting a hold of their stories and doing to them what happened to Brian. Right. So I figured why not just get the info from the horse's mouth, right? I reached out to Brian <gasps> recently asking for an interview. I haven't heard back yet, but Brian did an interview in 2014 on a YouTube channel called Strange Chronicles from the Graveyard Shift where he defends his story. Some people have accused you of making it up. Yeah, if you want to make me if you want to make me angry, accuse mm -hmm. me of making up the black-eyed kids. Um I have no reason to make this story up. In fact, this is exactly the sort of thing that would hurt my professional career. Correct. A lot of people have said, oh, I've done this to gain some sort of fame. Well, I've, no reason to. I, any fame that I've, no. that I've gained is because of awards and such that I've won for my professional work. This has nothing to do with black-eyed kids. Obviously, I'm not working at the Washington Post or someplace like that now because of this. I told the story because I write... And one of the ways that I deal with things sometimes is to write them down. It's a cathartic experience Pen for and me paper. Yeah. To, to just put it down. And I shared it initially with a small group of people on a, uh, on a list serve back in the day, you know, the email lists um, that um, had to do with paranormal accounts. And these were people who I knew and trusted very much. And I shared the story. Your, then, your control forum, yeah. per se. Yeah. And then it kind of got out from there and then as it proliferated this became i guess you would call it an early viral sensation even before we had the terminology and it passed around and passed around and all of a sudden i started getting phone calls and emails and all kinds of things from people just this flood initially of people well what are they and you know i believe you and all this sort of thing and and then, of course, you know, inevitably after that, the the, the skeptics have the backlash, and um, we know skeptics are always going to be skeptics. And yeah. and the thing is, there's nothing that I can do to convince these people. Mm -hmm. And especially, there was a period of time where I just got tired of talking about it, and I kind of shut down. And I think that's when a lot of this sort of kind of spun a little bit out of control, and. Uh, <laughs> 
I wasn't around to help shape the message as much. I stand by exactly what I wrote. As far as I'm concerned, that's that's my official document of what happened. Um, and I wrote it in the style that I would write any other thing. Um, that, that, that is a documentary account of how this went down. Uh, you know, people have asked me, well, how much money have you made from this? And I'll tell you, nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. Even when I was on Monsters and Mysteries, I wasn't paid anything. Everything, every interview I've ever done, everything I've ever written, I mean, it's always been gratis. There's no money involved here. I have not improved myself in any way through this. And in fact, in some respects, I, I, I feel like I've hurt myself. Because now if you go on different forums, you know, you'll see Brian Bethel created the myth of the Black Eyed Kids in 1990. And there, yeah. there's nothing that makes me angrier. There are accounts that go back decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, there are reports in the 50s. Mm-hmm. There are reports in the 80s. I mean, just because I put something on and during the early age of the Internet and was one of the first people perhaps on the Internet to talk about something like this doesn't mean that I created it. So let's get into the theories. The absence of BEK stories means that perhaps there have been some victims who were unable to record their experiences. But from what we know, based off of just what we have, a lot of people suggest like the skeptic theory is that it's diphtheria. Do you know what diphtheria is? Is it a foodborne illness? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. It's it's caused from some sort of bacterial infection, corny bacterium diphtheriae. And most of the infections are asymptomatic. Some of the outbreaks that have happened, there's like 10% of people who died. So it can be pretty, pretty deadly. And the signs and symptoms start as like a sore throat and a fever. Um, there might be like patches or sores that develop in the throat and then their throat gets all blocked and it blocks their airway and it creates this like barking cough. Lymph nodes swell. It, it leads to bleeding and sometimes the blood like goes in their eyes and oh, turns wow. their eyes black. So Oh shit. Natalia's showing me if you go to Wikipedia and type yeah. in diphtheria, you can see the face of a child. And yeah, yeah you're right. Like the, the white part of the eye is like full of blood. That's yeah. scary. I yeah. It must like burst the blood vessels or something. Oh wow. That's freaky. Does it make people blind or no? Oh wow. But that see, that's more red. Natalia's showing me a series of photos and yeah, it looks like it looks like blood filling up the eyes. Right. The whites of the eyes. But I, I guess if it were dark out, like you could mistake the red for black. My thought is that these children are incredibly sick. They're not gonna be like out trying to get a ride. They would just right. be like, I have diphtheria. I'm in the hospital. Yeah. Somebody help me. Yeah, versus like walking around, like trying to steal people's souls and get into their homes and use their bathroom. An offshoot of the diphtheria theory is that perhaps these are ghosts of Victorian children who had died from diphtheria. Oh. And because it causes that eyes thing to look like dark and sunken. And, you know, that actually is more probable to me than children running around with diphtheria because, like you said, they'd be really sick. So why would they be doing that? But yeah, if there are the ghosts of children that have died Mm -hmm. from this illness, then they've got all the energy in the world. Right. Yeah. But why do they want to like come use your phone and like have to That's be asked true. in or and something? And if they're Victorian, then how would they even know what a phone is? Right. Like, wouldn't they just be like, 
Give me your typewriter, sir. <laughs> yeah. <for laughs> Send like, a telegram to my mom. Some people think that perhaps the BEK are some sort of demonic entity or fairies. And these are fairy abductions oh. that are happening. Also, perhaps night hags or sleep demons. Proponents of that theory believe that the BEK are some sort of demonic entity. They point to their need to gain permission to enter, which is similar to a vampire. Also, there are almost always negative outcomes for those who encounter the BEK like the guy who fucking died, which adds credence to this theory. However, in our episode about summoning a demon, demonologist Shawan Koo educated us here on LGH on demon behavior and noted that demons being negative entities is actually a stereotype that was embraced by the Christian church as a response to paganism. So who knows? Who knows? But the, okay, I would have never thought of fairies but I'm thinking about it and I'm like, okay, what if these black eyed kids are fairies and the reason why they come into adults' cars and homes is because they are looking for other children in the home or babies to take back to turn it like, you know, the changeling oh, right. situation that to we turn talked into about. A log. Yeah. Or to like keep as their own. Ooh. And that would explain why one of them went upstairs is like walking around, looking in different rooms, seeing if there's a crib or like seeing if they can find a baby to steal. Mm -hmm. And the other one is serving as like the the ruse or the distraction by mm -hmm. looking for a phone. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. There was like another offshoot of this sleep demon thing where people were like, maybe the people were actually asleep when all these happened. Because oh. remember, the psychic was like, I had a dream about right. the children or whatever. And then they said that like the guy who crashed his car was actually asleep. And that's why he crashed his car. And uh, perhaps these are some sort of like night hag sleep demons. I don't know. Another theory t is revolving around what is known as tulpa. Do you know what tulpa are? T-U-L-P-A? Yeah. No. A tulpa or a thought form is like a type of demon that attacks you after you learn about it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so they feed off of fear. So they take whatever form is like most scary to you. So oh. if people heard this original story and thought that those children were scary, now the kids are going to like, the BEK are going to continue taking that form. It's like Freddy Krueger morphed with... A, a boggart from Harry Potter, yes. right? Like Freddy Krueger can only get you in your dreams. Right. And he only travels to people's dreams who are like susceptible to him or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like not everyone dreams of Freddy Krueger in that movie Nightmare on Elm Street. And then also if it takes on the form of whatever you fear most, it's like a boggart from Harry Potter where like when Ron Weasley looked at it, it turned into a giant spider. Right. When Harry Potter looked at it, it turned into a dementor. A yeah. Or yeah, dementor. Yeah. Okay, guys, I just want to add in here that a tulpa or a thought form basically originated in, it says Tibetan mysticism and Buddhism. So I just want to add a little disclaimer in here because that theory that this is a demon that is similar to a tulpa or a thought form comes from the similarity in what a tulpa or a thought form is in Buddhism and mysticism. It's basically like when someone meditates into existence, an imaginary friend or just any sort of idea that becomes an entity that's like real, that has an actual body that's here in this physical realm, even though it started off as just imaginary. So you basically practice like a certain meditation to bring it into existence. 
But then this theory takes that idea and says, well, what if it's like a demon that does that? Because obviously these things are, you know, scary as fuck. I just wanted to add that in here because, you know, we try to be respectful of cultures. Uh, Some people think that perhaps the BEK are aliens attempting to do recon because the black eyed kids have solid black eyes, which are similar to what gray aliens are reported to have. Mm. Proponents of this theory believe BEKs might be an alien in disguise or some sort of human alien hybrid. The BEK are noted as having psychic abilities and they can affect electrical devices, which is similar to what we know about alien encounters and also the out-of-place clothing, unusual speech, and having their parents appear wearing suits. It sounds like the men in black. It does. Mm -hmm. Some people think that the BEK are a type of cryptids and there's some stories circulating where like they actually have talons or fangs. I didn't include those because I just felt like that was too much information, but you guys can look into that another theory is that these are otcon do you know what otcon is no how do you even spell that o-t-k-o-n according to an article for rare news the b-e-k might be otcon using the book your haunted lives the black-eyed kids as a source this theory points to an iroquois legend as an explanation for the b-e-k the book reads, quote, the Iroquois believed in a dark power called the Otcon that could take over children and an evil one who would mate with human females to produce oh. black-eyed, chalky-skinned children. Wait, really? According to this book, these children were killed by the tribe soon after birth and burned to stop them from resurrecting. Children wandering alone in the woods could also be taken over by Otcon and would reemerge with black eyes and pale skin, acting nervously while repeating themselves over and over. Their goal was to destroy the tribe and infect all of the people with Otcon. That's scary. I mean, that sounds almost exactly like the reports of black-eyed children that you've told me so far in this episode. The only thing that makes me think, oh, that's a little bit different, is the accounts that you read to me are about children who are super confident in what they're asking for. And this account says that, like, oh, the Otcon takes over the child and is acting really nervously. But at the same time, the accounts that you've read to me talk about kids that won't make eye contact, which to me would be interpreted as nervousness, right? Yeah. So I could definitely see this being a thing. The last theory is sort of a skeptic theory, but it's also like haunted. It's a chemical leak. This theory suggests that a chemical leak could have been the reason that sightings occurred. Proponents of this theory believe that the black-eyed children are actually hallucinations caused by chemical leaks or otherwise consumed or ingested chemicals. This theory was popularized by the complex relationship between a UK paranormal author and a publication entitled The Birmingham Mail. However, I learned about this theory from a BuzzFeed article, so I'm just going to read that to y'all because it's like way too complicated to just explain all of this information. Right, right. According to an article for Buzz feed published in October of 2014 entitled everything you need to know about the black ghost eyed children writer Patrick Smith explores a new theory about what the origins of the black eyed children could be according to the article Smith researched a 2013 publication entitled UFOs werewolves and the pigman where the writer recounts several local supernatural folk tales and modern sightings near the area known as Cannock Chase in Staffordshire, England. Although the publication claims that the BEK are only being seen in the UK for the first time in 30 years, 
Smith notes that the only source for the recent sightings in the UK appears to be the writer's auntie, who goes on to say in 1982 that when she was 18, she was hanging out with some friends at a beauty spot when she heard a little girl shouting, help, mommy, help. By the way, I didn't know what a beauty spot was. Uh, I looked it up. I learned that it's just an English term for a beautiful place. Oh, it's not like a salon? No. It's All right. just like I'm like, glad you looked it up. Yeah, it's like you can look. I typed in beauty spot and it was like ten beauty spots to f- visit this summer. You guys, my, our English listeners, <laughs> when you hear beauty spot, do you think of a beautiful place or do you think of a beauty parlor? Right. There's more too. There's Tell more me in the comments. These, yeah. So after the auntie hears help, mommy help, there's a little child who appeared that looked to be about six to eight years old. And the child began running after her. So the auntie goes and she's like trying to find the child because like if you see a little girl running around saying help, mommy help, like you're going to try to help them, of right? Of course. But the child, quote, gave her the slip. Uh, end quote, which is a term that I learned is an English term for escaping someone or something. I knew that one. Oh, I didn't know that. The following day, the police were called to search for a young lost child. However, the search yielded no results. The book explains that at the time of the sighting, nobody suspected anything paranormal or supernatural. The young girl had appeared to be of real flesh and blood, so everyone was generally worried that there was a child lost. Smith writes, quote, it was only a year later when discussing the incident with a neighbor that Auntie was made aware of Raymond Morris's 1960s child killings in the area. This revelation really spooked her. Although there have been many other sightings of this nature in the area, and I certainly don't completely rule out the theory that there are indeed ghosts of children murdered by Morris, to me it seems that as these children often appear to be completely solid and never really show any unusual qualities, their origin could lay squarely in the realms of the occult." End quote. In a twist to the tale, on Tuesday, the author of UFOs, Werewolves, and the Pigman, the guy that we just heard from about, that told the story about his auntie and the little girl, told the Birmingham Mail that people who spot the ghost could be hallucinating, possibly because of a chemical leak. He said, according to the article, we're dealing with some kind of mass hallucination. Something, some substances, has made people see this apparition. There were all kinds of weird covert military stuff going on here during the years, and there still is. Could something left behind have caused all of these sightings? End quote. The article continues, a chemical leak could have been the reason the auntie saw a ghost child back in 1982, but there's no explanation of where the chemical leak originated from or how it lasted 32 years. Smith ended his article by questioning the paranormal writer's revelation of a possible chemical leak, noting that it seems odd the ghost enthusiast behind the story is now implying skepticism by suggesting a chemical leak caused hallucinations. However, apparently the writer of UFO Werewolves and the Pigman read Smith's article, the one that was like, I think it's weird that the writer of this book is now calling upon a skeptic theory, and he wrote into the article to defend himself, and he said that uh, the Birmingham Mail had implied that he invented the chemical leak theory, but the theory was entirely invented by the press and did not come from oh. him. Oh, so I, I also feel like chemical leak has been blamed on too many like too many times. Right. I remember in the Mothman episode, it was like, oh, well, this area was like, you know, a power plant. And right. could there have been a chemical leak? And then in the Copper Cauldrons of uh, Russia episode, we talk about, oh, could it have been these noxious gases seeping out from tectonic plates under the Earth's crust? And it's like, come on, guys. Yeah. How many chemical leaks or like noxious gas leaks could there possibly be all over the world? 
I don't know. Maybe a lot. Someone tell me in the comments. Yeah. I, a lot of skeptics discount this uh, BEK modern phenomenon as just a hoax or creepy, implying in some way that our human minds as the birthplace of terror is somehow not worth further investigation. But I, I don't know. I just think like... If this many people are saying that this thing happened, like it's something we have to look into as being a weird phenomenon, even if it's not paranormal. Like, isn't it weird how like humans have this uh, tendency to like, like see all the same things, you know? Right. Like if we're afraid, like that's almost more scary. Like the mob mentality to me is like more scary than there being like black eyed children who are here to like collect our souls or whatever they're doing. Yeah. It reminds me a lot, like you said earlier, of the night hag where why are people all over the world having the same incidents of sleep paralysis where they all see the same creature an old woman Mm -hmm. that like has sex with them while they're incapacitated (sighs) why is everyone also seeing weird creepy children with eyes that are just totally blacked over that like wander around asking for help and asking for permission to come inside a car or a house so Yeah, I think it is worth investigation. And I wonder, too, I bet you there are some listeners out there who have had experience with this phenomenon. Yeah. And I would love if you guys would write in to letsgethauntedpod at gmail.com about your experiences seeing black-eyed children. I'm sure it's not uncommon. Just based off of the testimony that you've read today, it sounds like this has been happening since the 50s. So if you guys have any experiences, write into us. We do listener story episodes every five episodes, and I would love to read them. Yeah, it's a weird story, though, right? Very weird. I I think out of all the theories you read, my favorite, though, is the idea that these are fairies. Mm. And the fairies are, like, trying to find human children to take back to their fairy domain and, like, leave fairy children there as changelings yeah one of the theories that uh like doesn't have a whole lot behind it so i didn't include it but maybe i will now is that perhaps these are children who killed their whole families and like oh. that's how you become a bek oh it's like you kill murder your whole family and then you're an orphan and you turn into a bek shit well if there's a listener out there who murdered their entire family and turned into a bek please write into us this is a great episode natalia i learned so much i i realize now more than ever that i really knew absolutely jack shit about black eyed kids and i bet you there's a lot of other people out there who have heard that term before but don't know the deep dive version so thank you for bringing that to our attention yeah let us know what you guys think what if that girl that stole the cell phone was a bek and was like trying to get us there that actually makes a lot of sense and now i'm spiraling (laughs) maybe you should try to meet up with this girl Send a pic. Yeah, send a pic. Send her a pic of that screenshot of the guy in the doorbell. Oh, no. (gasps) BRB, gotta go scream in the woods like a bobcat. Bye. Bye.